Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show this week, Stories from the Influencer Economy. We are talking to Greg Goodfried on the show, who is a digital agent at United Talent Agency in Los Angeles. We are sitting in his pretty office. He has some golf posters on the wall from St. Andrews. Lots of golf posters. A Brooklyn Dodgers championship uh, from 1955 poster. Are you from New York? No, nope, I'm from L.A., but uh, so it's the Dodgers, and also that team had Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese and a lot of you know big implications on race and uh, you know how the country started getting better, so a little bit inspiring. Totally. Yeah, that was uh, the team that I, I've read really like great articles about the Brooklyn Dodgers where the fans would talk to the players during games. Cool. Specifically Pee Wee Reese. I think he played fir- third base. Yep, exactly. And they would like know everyone's name and like interact. It's a different era. Yeah, Ebbets Field at the time was a very small stadium. and every- I think the people who sat on the sidelines were literally like right next to yeah. the field. So got to know the players. And uh, the movie 42, I think, was this 1955 team. So oh, kind of cool. cool. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, welcome to the show. But you were uh, one of the creators of Lonely Girl 15 back in the day. I did that, yep. You were one of the pioneers of... Matching brands with celebrities and influencers at Equal. Yep. Which was acquired a few years ago. Yep, by Everyday Health in 2012. And now you're at UTA. Joined here a year ago, January 2014. And the first question is for you, what is a digital agent? Uh, So at UTA, you know, we have a good group of agents over here. We have 11 agents. Um, I'd say... For those of us that call ourselves digital agents, there's different lanes that we swim in. So for some, there is representing online talent. Um, I do a lot of that myself. So big YouTube stars, you know, now we're starting to see Instagram stars, Vine stars for sure. So in our minds, it's somebody that, you know, has a couple components. So one is they make a lot of content that we really think is great. So they're not somebody that just made a single viral video, but they're making you know, a weekly video, they're, you know, using the other platforms or, you know, active on Twitter, active on Instagram, and we look at their videos and say, this is great, they're really talented. I think the second is a highly engaged audience, um, a large audience plus an engaged audience is even better, but, you know, for some of the people we find early on, we say, they're making really great content, fans are really reacting to it, we know in three months, six months, one year, they'll get to that million plus subscriber range, um, but they are people that have a large audience. The final component is I'd say they are somebody that will do something beyond just make videos on YouTube. So they might want to act. They might want to write. They might want to write a book. They might want to have a clothing line. They might want to do commercial endorsements. But it's something – if it's a person that you know we see or we talk to them and they say, I just want to upload a video once a week and get my check from Google and that's my life – awesome that's great they don't need an agent they just need to make videos but if there's someone that says i see myself as kind of a multifaceted personality whether it's in the beauty space whether it's in the comedy space whatever it is um, we think that then we can add value as an agent to bring them these other opportunities that's cool yep and we're talking you know before that this is like such an inspiring time it's amazing i mean especially i was there in 2006 and 2006 and 2007 was this moment where there was going to be your cheers online and people were going to make millions and it was yeah. going to be you know the the tv industry was going to crumble and then the economy collapsed in 2008 and 2009 and brands contracted from the space and it got very complicated so i think we were in this you know second third inning whatever it would be i think of, it's that early still it's still super early for um, anyone creating online because yeah. i think there's always a fear people think that they're too late they are so by far not too late um there's there's 
you know, both people emerging now that go from zero to a million subscribers over a few months because they're great. And they, that on YouTube. On YouTube, yeah, exactly. Um, there's people that, there's new platforms emerging. So there's people now that are just saying, I'm just going to go all in on Snapchat and I'm going to be really creative on Snapchat, make cool stuff. And they're becoming popular. So I think that the combination of there's plenty of room out there on YouTube for new creators plus new platforms emerging um, allow, you know, creative people to have a chance. Yeah, because there's a, Oftentimes, there's like two types of people that get stuck. There's the one that just they don't start. Like they always think like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my YouTube channel next week, or I'm yeah, gonna exactly. start creating vines daily, or they have ambitious plans to like create content, build an audience and community because they they're passionate about like cooking, right? Know, sports or they they're funny and they think that they're that they, like the funniest thing I think now is like the new screenplay like. Ten years ago, everyone wanted to write a screenplay. Right now, everyone wants to do a podcast. Totally, where it's like, oh, me and my buddy are so funny at work. Yeah, everyone tells us we need a podcast, but the actual structure you have to create a format. You have to buy equipment, invest in the research. Yep, marketing community. Like, what I love about these creators right. is every. I, I say there's this is the, the Jay Z effect, where Jay Z is a sports agent. Yeah, he's a music mogul and he's yep. married to Beyonce. Yeah, he has so many different jobs. That's right. And these creators now, like someone like Flula, who you just signed. Yep, he does everything. He's on Reddit, Twitter. That's right. He, you know, he's marketing himself, building community. Yeah, I think you have to be. You have to be as good. You have to be great at a lot of things. To your point, you have to be great on screen. You have to be a great producer, which is what am I going to put on screen? You know, a lot of actors show up, read their lines, but there's many p- layers of people behind that's choosing what goes on the screen and what does it look like and what does it feel like you have to be a great marketer you have to even in a different way you have to have this sense of community where you have to understand your fans and understand what they like and don't like and what's going to motivate them and then you have to be unbelievably hardworking. Um, i think that unlike any other type of industry a youtuber makes one video per week at least for 52 weeks like they can't take a week off if they're going to if they're going to travel or be somewhere they know they have to shoot two videos the week before so they can have something to upload. But it really is a full-time, 365-day-a-year job. And I think to your point, there's that category of person that doesn't ever just try because they're yeah. a procrastinator or they right. get overwhelmed. There's the other person that tries and two or three months in is like, oh, I still only have a 1,000 subscribers and it's not growing and they quit. Yes. If you go talk to somebody like Michelle Fawn or somebody like I, Justine or Shane Dawson – it took them like three years oh, yeah. until they became big. Or so. six years. Or six years, or, or who knows, Grace right? Grace Helbig was on the Today Show. It was really funny because she's a big YouTuber. She wrote a best-selling book. Yep. And then she um, is now going to be on an E, like in a Chelsea Handler-type show. Funny show, yeah. So she was on the Today Show with Kathleen Hoda. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, tell us when this viral hit happened. That's right. And she's like, well, it was about six years of making stuff. That's right. And they're like, no, no, no. Tell us that moment uh, where your video went viral. Yeah. that's usually what happens. Of course, yeah. But it's the opposite. 100%. It's, it's more like a band. I mean, if you, go yeah. talk to, if you go talk to any band and they say, you know, wow, you're an overnight sensation and say, yeah, overnight was 10 years of yeah. grinding and playing in garages and small clubs and larger clubs. Like, there's no... There's no, you know, Maroon 5. I went to, you know, high school with those guys. And, like, they kind of felt like they emerged on the scene and then was a rocket ship. People don't realize since 10th grade, these guys were slugging it out, you know, 10th grade through when they were, you know, 25, 26. So solid 10 years of day in and day out work. And then, sure, then there's that moment. You have right. everyone has a moment if they're this big and their rocket but the, ship But the moment off. is, like, overnight success looks so easy. That's right. But the grind of 365. That's right. Even the podcast, I obsess about it. 
it's not my full-time job yep but i i think about it on saturdays i have probably six hours on sundays where i don't think about the podcast uh, and because i have to check out that's right and the rest is all consuming it's like it how do be. i edit it how do i make the intro better like Flula did the intro music. Okay, cool. And uh, and he was a very early guest, such a giving guy. Yeah, you know, very great. generous. And so I changed the music because people didn't like the intro because I had the backbeat on the whole time. Okay. So I do five seconds of Flula's intro, then I downgrade it, and then I put it five seconds in but the outro for the intro. Like all these small details. Yep. That I obsess about that no one will notice. But they matter. They totally matter. And it's no one notices, but they feel it, right? They feel it instinctively. And the again, the amazing thing about digital is you have the opportunity to do that. If you made a TV show, you have months and months of shooting. You write a pilot. You shoot it. You edit it. You have literally one shot. You put that TV show on Thursday night. Good ratings. It's yeah. going on the next week. Bad ratings. Right. You're done. And so daunting and scary and difficult digital is the polar opposite it is start small and iterate and change and adapt and grow and listen right you got to constantly be listening to your audience um, to find out what they're into and so yeah so the characteristics of people that succeed is they just dedicate themselves it's almost like attrition absolutely because people yeah, give up big time. and then you end up like giving you give other people a shot because if you don't it's like if you if you give up first of all you're actually just saying you don't want it bad enough. That's right. Because the t- most talented people don't always win. Nope. I mean, I think I think there's there's a level of talent that you have to have. If you don't have the talent, don't be you know a star, right? It, yeah. it's not everybody is meant to be. You know, not everyone's going to pitch for the Yankees, right? You got to be a really good pitcher and work hard. So I think there's this baseline level of talent that is impossible to define. But just you know, know if you have it. If you <laughs> listen to the people around you. On top of that, though, is work ethic. I think there is no substitute for incredibly hard work ethic. And then, you know, being a good person, interestingly, in this YouTube community is really important. So underrated. Yeah. There's a great book, uh, Give and Take, okay. by Adam Grant. Oh, cool. Okay. He's a Wharton professor. He was a very early guest. And he did research for years about givers and takers. Hmm. And he said that givers succeed more in business they also fail the most. Interesting. Because they give too much that they don't have their own self interest yep. aligned. It's probably a nice balance there. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like there's a fine line you have to identify. Yeah. But he said that takers, like his job, he makes tons of money. Google, the NFL, they hire him to weed out takers. Oh, wow. During nice. the interview process. No way. Nice. He can just see there's certain there's questions you ask or there's characteristics. And so you he's find in out. a self mint test you can take online. Nice. And then he says, well, most of us are matchers. Okay. Where it's like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's cool. And I it's mean, more um, survival. reciprocity and all that kind of stuff. When, I, when I, was, I went to Berkeley and the first book we read was The Godfather. And like the opening line is kind of about the value of reciprocity, which is, you don't need to be selfless, right? You can do something for somebody else in hope of getting something in return. Yep. But you got You can't just be a taker. You got to be the one to do something here and there. And you can't worry about getting something in return. That's right. You have to hope it comes to you. Kind of a little bit of trust. karma. It's like a system. That's yeah. It's like you put yourself into the system that yep. I help you t- today. I may never see you again. Yep. In my life. But someone out there will help me for exactly. some reason. And the interesting thing is that speaks so much to YouTube in that I think – so right now, you know, the number one way to become famous on YouTube is the collaborations, right? Yeah. So you go and you start making yeah, can you stuff. The collaboration? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's a person that will go make videos. They, they make, you know, good videos. They make consistent videos. They get into it. And then for – a number of reasons, you know, a more popular YouTuber will see them, they'll get on their radar, maybe you, you know, tweet to them and tell them how they inspired you and you make a video about how you're here because you saw Andrea Brooks's video and she's amazing and she's inspired and then 
the YouTuber with a larger following will reach out to you and say, hey, be in my video. They'll invite you in the video. They'll sit down with you. They'll make a video talking about you. You make a video talking about them. Them on the bigger YouTuber channel, they'll you know put on it, you know, subscribe to so and so, check them out. I'm a really big fan. And now you know, kind of all all you know, ships rise on a high tide or whatever that phrase is. But yeah. it's kind of that concept of you know, and it's almost it's like the again, this is like the modern day version of a record label or something where there's the haves and there's the have nots, and you kind of hope that the haves pluck some of the have nots yeah. and elevate them to another level. And that's really what it comes down to. It's huge. Some... It's, and, and it's selfless. I mean, the, the YouTubers that put these, you know, put smaller people in their videos, they get nothing out of it. They just know that they respect this person. They have a huge audience. They want to show their audience new talent. The new talent emerges. And then they hope that that new talent does it for somebody else someday yeah. and pays it forward. So it's the same thing in the podcast world? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. You can, it's like, um, I guess, punching above your weight class. Right. Where like you that's go after right. like the Mike Tyson of podcasting or youtubing yep and they acknowledge you yeah and it doesn't take a lot of time for them but this just that endorsement means so much absolutely and i mean it, every platform you know how do you the, literally the only way to become popular on instagram is if a huge instagrammer reposts your stuff put your you know your at in it and then you'll get you know an enormous amount of new followers it's because instagram is so crazy can you explain that actually i think that's really interesting sure yeah so if a person has you know instagram is brutal right now in terms of growing followers because there's no there's no regramming or you know like if i see your picture and i have a million followers i can't take your picture and just click a button like you can do a retweet and put it out there there's no links so people can't really like say you know check this thing out a little further yeah yeah sure um so it's a little tricky so the best way right now to become big on instagram is to get lucky i'd say i don't even i mean unless you know someone but if there's someone that let's say i had a million followers i saw your picture i would take a screenshot or something of your picture put it on my instagram put your handle you know follow you and then people will see the picture on my account see your name click on it check out all your pictures and if they like you they follow you so it's, it's all through the community. It's all through the community. It's and again, the only way that happens is being a good person and yeah. being supportive and being you know in it. So that's that's how it works right now. And so the collaboration is a great metaphor for for for, for working, just, yeah for being good and karma and things coming around. And yeah, I, I, and I you know I've just been in this space now. I don't know. I guess what it is nine years. I guess and the you know I I have a, have had a nice opportunity to cross over in my career, spending some time with traditional talent, some time with you know online or digital talent and the truth is the the online people are just really nice they're really supportive and and where i think traditional entertainment breeds competition it's not their fault it's just if you're an actor and you walk into a casting and there's 20 other people there for one role it's competitive you are rooting for yourself to get the job and you're rooting for 19 other people not to get the job right that doesn't happen in youtube there's you're not you're not it's not a zero sum game like, right there can be a hundred stars who all get a million views on a video versus one person who gets to be in Grey's Anatomy. Totally. So it, it's it's just a different attitude. And like with podcasting, Serial mm-hmm. has actually been a boon for podcasting. Oh, for sure. And it's definitely not a zero-sum game. No. Because you're not competing against other people for listens. Actually, there's so many people going to podcasts. Because of Serial. Because yeah. of Serial. Exactly. That it's great for the whole community. 100%. I mean, any of these. And that's – I mean, I think all these platforms, you know – when Twitter was in its early stage, the whole like Ashton Kutcher, Larry King, you know, yeah, battle, battle to get a million followers that resulted in, you know, thousands of other people getting oh, thousands yeah. of followers because Twitter doesn't work if you just follow two people. Yep. It works if you follow 300 you people. You can ride the coattails. That's right. So I think unlike, again, unlike a movie that is just, 
you know, there's going to be one or two movies opening every weekend, and those movies have to take as much as the box office as possible. So a thousand people can, you know, have jobs and get bonuses. We're, we're the literally the polar opposite of all all this community needs is more fans and more mm. viewers and with more fans and viewers more creators can have a chance to be heard and seen so you've mentioned uh like i justine mm-hmm. is she one of your clients she is yep and michelle fam yep and so what what was it like in the process of discovering helping them build out things beyond youtube because they have great communities mm-hmm. that are so loyal mm-hmm. that will follow them to books to yep. bigger platforms yeah, I mean, with with it's it's a lot of what do they want to do? You know, as agents, you're you're not telling anybody what to do. What you're really trying to do is discover, you know, and, and support the clients. So whether it's you know a book, some of them are really passionate. They have. Are you Justine writing a book? Justine's writing a book. So you know, if she has a story to tell, whether it's you know in some cases it's an autobiography, in some cases they have some cool fiction story they want to tell, in some cases it might be a how-to or whatever it is. It's, again, sitting down with them and figuring out what are you into and what's inspiring to you and then connecting the dots to find a publisher that believes that the power of, you know, Justine or Michelle or whoever's audience is large enough that they'll buy enough books to make it worth right. making a book. Um, and then you connect which is, all those pieces, uh, which okay. now is a no-brainer. It's a slam like, dunk. I mean, now you look at Zoella, and Zoella went and wrote oh, a book yeah, I love that's that. just so unbelievably popular. I, I love that. Yeah, so we're... We are, did you see Rob Lowe? Uh, did he, what did he do? So Rob Lowe tweeted out that Zoella was interviewing Obama. Okay. And he posted a screen grab of her eating uh, Fruit Loops in a bathtub wearing a bikini. Amazing. And he, like, said that Obama couldn't meet... So for those that don't know, uh, the YouTube community sent three people to interview Obama recently. Yep. Yep. It was Hank Green... Bethany. Bethany and and Flozella. Yep. And so the big old-school media, like Fox, MSNBC, were, were ripping on Obama... And the community of YouTubers saying that these people didn't deserve the opportunity. So Rob Lowe, he tweets out a picture of Flozella eating cereal in a bathtub. And he's like, can you believe Obama's meeting with her? But he won't meet with the prime minister of Israel. Uh-huh. And I and was like, like, this is beautiful. I'm so right. glad he's highlighting how much old celebrity is not relevant anymore. 100%. And how he's banging the drum that... This is how it should work. Yeah, he sounds like the old grandpa, like, get yeah. off my lawn, yeah. kids. You're like, come on, except that, you know, a Bethany and a Hank Green, these people speak for an entire generation. For a president to ignore this generation is more offensive yes. than, you know, to not. So like, you want to reach millennial voters, and we're in a time where people aren't inspired to vote. Exactly. And people didn't turn out the last election. Yep. So why not get young people with 100%. an engaged following? The crazy thing, too, is, you know, one of the one of the neat things right when I started at UTA in January, I went to VidCon and then I went to the Teen Choice Awards, like within the same like week or two. If you go ask a 15 year old right now, you know, tell me the difference between, you know, Taylor Swift and somebody on Pretty Little Liars and, you know, Michelle Fawn. There is no difference. They are all huge celebrities. So right. There, I think, used to be, I think, even in our, you know, I'm 35, even in our generation, there was like, you know, movie stars on this pedestal, maybe music stars next, and maybe TV people, and they were kind of like you would almost rank them in popularity or importance based on the platform they were on. That's gone now. Right. Like it is all – it's just famous people. And if you're a big celebrity and you have millions of people that love you and follow you, you're just famous in the eyes of young people. So a huge YouTube star is as famous, if not more, than you know giant movie stars. Um, 
and they also have you know more power because they they talk directly to the fans and they have a touch point and they go to the VidCon and they sit but for VidCon's six a, hours VidCon and take is selfies. Teenage girls screaming. It's amazing. It's the and first it, time I saw a selfie stick. That's right. Yeah, and there's twenty five thousand people that come from all over the world basically to go to the Anaheim Convention Center and people will legitimately line up for five to six hours to take a selfie with the Smosh guys. And yeah. like, we live in we live in a different world. But, yeah. but it's to not embrace it is foolish because you can't tell, you know, twelve to twenty five year olds what to watch, what to do. You can't you know, you just embrace it. You embrace what they're into. There's this guy from to your point about these autograph lines, which mm-hmm. is a phenomenon. It's crazy. It's they have signings. Yeah. So YouTubers essentially can have pop up events anywhere around VidCon. Yeah. And mostly major cities. They can just Anytime. tweet out their locations and people will come. Yep. They'll, they'll, these, uh, I think it was the Janoskians or somebody tweeted out that they're going to be at the Grove in like, which is you know big uh, shopping center uh, in the LA area, and they tweeted like, hey, we'll be there in twenty minutes. Like three thousand people descended on the Grove to the point, but police That's and amazing. fire and like they had to close down the <laughs> Grove for twenty minutes to handle crowd control because they have so much power now. And it's like a, a flick of a, a, a swipe of. Just a button. A, just a button. Just a couple I like of characters. That. That's, a, a that's a really good segue into uh, – so the, how how is mobile phone, um, like as far as acquiring community on mobile devices, like how much has that just changed the ability for these people to become famous so quickly? It is the killer app. I mean it, it, I, I'd say in my – again, looking at this over the nine-year period of doing it, the the you know iPhone, for lack of a better term, you know, iPhone slash you know, Android now – is the game changer. The fact that you can, you know, you can see the content anywhere you want. You know, the video is amazing and plays great and plays fast. You can go directly from seeing the video to, you know, jumping into an app like Vine, like Twitter, like Snapchat, and talk to the person, communicate, share it with your friends. It has just exploded the entire ecosystem of the consumption of the content, the sharing of the content, the new platforms to allow creators to have more and more touch points. Um, And, you know, now we're in still, again, super early days, but the monetization of it, you know, so we're in, I guess, was 2012 on YouTube. uh, When people would upload videos, they would be able to check a box that said, like, enable for mobile or not enable for mobile. And then YouTube had very few people enabling for mobile for no reason, just because they thought, oh, I'm not going to check the box. Then YouTube would not sell any mobile ads. Yeah. People wouldn't make any money. Now it's like every video, you know, 70, 80% of videos are consumed on mobile. YouTube does a great job delivering ads. And, and so creators make more money and, and consumers watch more video. It's just, it's wonderful. You can monetize mobile. Yeah. So I think the phones are, you know, the phones were, were the thing that took this from, you know, an okay business to a phenomenal business. You just reminded me, actually. Um, so one of the impetuses for you know starting the Influencer Economy series around the books and, and the podcast is that I was with the company or I was helping to consult, and we were going to meet with Ashton Kutcher. Okay. Or Kutcher. Kutcher I, I never I pronounce it right. But there you go. Just call him Ashton. Ashton. That's what everyone, everyone calls Everyone will know. Everyone will everyone, know Ashton. So was, we were going to meet with Ashton. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was doing an analysis that his Twitter – links that he uh, I tracked with bitly's which is a data mon- like monitoring tool for social media for those that don't know and I, I saw that his clicks converted like less than half of a percent yeah I then went to Kim Kardashian's tweets her clicks were less than half of a percent but then I was at machinima at the time and I would go into uh, gamers on YouTube oh, yeah. that had millions of subscribers their clicks were 20 percent that's right and they only had 200,000 followers compared to like Ashton's like five million yeah but the engagement was so much more alive yeah. and fervent yeah. 
that that's what mattered. And yeah. if you can get a brand that is like you know native to gamers, whether it's like Red Bull, not just gaming products, right? That that's the sweet spot. And you get ten of those guys like C Nanners or Pro Syndicate or whomever. These their gamer tags are their names. Like 100%. they don't even have. Like real no people don't even know their real names. They have no idea like who yeah. they're who they are. Yep, but they're known by their gamer tags. Yep. That I was like, this is a whole new world, and these guys are rock stars. Yep, they go to Comic Con and oh. they have autograph signings, and we're talking about the meetups. That's right. That there's this like whole rock star phenomenon that I don't think people fully grasp. No, you have to unless be you're in twelve. It to, or that's right. You 15. have to be in it, or you have to go to VidCon, or you have to go to you know really immerse yourself, and and you know funny so after lonely girl we started this company called equal and the premise behind it was you know big celebrities i would say were going to move to digital yeah. you know quickly and they weren't going to know how to do it so if we were the kind of platform we could build out their website we could build out their social their mobile put a content strategy together where every day we're putting out interesting articles and videos and then almost have like online magazines for personalities we had some that were you know the biggest a-list movie star celebrities you've ever seen and had 10 million Facebook fans because people just follow them on Facebook. Right. And their engagement was very mediocre. And right. when we put out products, it was very mediocre because people and you can love pro- to go to you're, see you're movies. Protect, you're protecting the innocent by not naming them. That's right. You know, <laughs> this is, you know, Agent 101 is don't, you know, name the positives, don't name the negatives. Um, so so it was tricky with them. Then we'd have somebody like a Michelle Fawn or like an Ellen Blair Fowler or you know in, just interesting people that were these YouTubers. And you'd and maybe instead of having ten million, you know, Facebook fans, they'd have a million Facebook fans. They would have, you know, seven, eight, nine times the amount of, and it wasn't even a percentage conversion. Like the gross amount of followers, or like you know, or engagement they'd have is way higher than the big celebrities because they'd have this twenty percent conversion rate, yeah. which is a higher number, and they'd right. sell more stuff and they'd get more activity. So, unless you're in it, you know, if I go ask my mom, like, who's more famous, you know. Uh, you know, Nicole Kidman or Michelle Fawn. Like, of course, you're going to think Nicole Kidman. It's just not true. Like, or who's at least whose fan base is <laughs> likes them more, right? right. It's going to be a YouTuber or a podcaster or an Instagrammer. They just fall in like love with that in your person. Mobile phone. That's you're, right. You're, they're just they're always your, around them. They're in your earbuds. Exactly. Whereas a a big you know movie star, they make a movie once a year, and then when they're not making the movie, they go to their families and they hang out and they are secluded, and it's great. Like when you are an actor. You need to keep the illusion that we don't really care who you are as a person. We care who you become as a character. It makes mm-hmm. total sense. But YouTubers are who they are, so you're just exposed to them much more. And you mentioned Michelle, Michelle Pham. Yeah. Um, can you explain the holler phenomenon? Sure. What is a holler? Just yes. to, to, to Holler 101. For sure. And I should clarify, she would not categorize herself no. as a holler, just to, just to make was sure. Was she originally she a holler? No, nah, she was a, a makeup guru originally. Okay. So makeup gu- so the makeup gurus would do tutorials on how to apply makeup. So she'd do a video that was like, I'm going to show you how to get Lady Gaga's smoky eye look from the poker face video. She'd you know apply the makeup as she'd do the voiceover, and then uh, the consumer, the viewer watching it would learn how to do it after that. Like hollers, how-to videos. How-to videos, right. Hollers are an amazing phenomenon. Uh, Bethany Moda, Ellen Blair, these are kind of the early hollers. Yeah, Bethany, she interviewed Obama. Uh, and Bethany's one of the ones that interviewed Obama. And so she, um, what they would do is they would go to the mall and they'd just legitimately This is go amazing. To, they, they'd walk into the mall and they would go to Forever 21 and they'd go to Claire's and they'd go to, you know, whatever stores they would go to and they would buy a bunch of stuff. And then they, and they wouldn't film that part. They would just go to the mall and they'd take like $250 and they'd buy a bunch of stuff. 
then they would come back and they would go into their room they would turn on their webcam they would sit down in front of they'd have like six bags in front of them and they would basically just take the stuff out of the bag and they'd say this is the haul that i got today from the mall and they'd say okay Today I bought, you know, this pink shirt, and I think with this pink shirt I bought this, you know, glitter lip gloss. And so here, and then they'd maybe try the shirt on, and they'd put the lip gloss on. And I'm going to pair this with this headband, and I bought this dangly bracelets, and they'd kind of show the stuff that they bought Amazing. and how they're going to put it together and how they're going to incorporate it into their wardrobe or their, you know, makeup routine or their hair routine. And it would be like a 10 to 15 minute video with no cuts. Just talking nonstop. It's talking. like watching a webcam of someone that's exactly putting, right. Putting makeup of on, putting makeup on, and telling you what they bought. And people ate it up. And they, you know, the truth. Why does it work? Right. Number one, they are really good on camera. So they're pretty, and they talk well, and they are full of charisma and excitement about shopping, which a lot of people relate to that. Uh, the second thing is they have really good taste. Like it is. When they go pick something out and buy it and pair it with somebody else, the consumer's like, oh, that's awesome. I wouldn't have thought of that. I learned something. You know, just like the editor of Vogue or Marie Claire has great taste, these girls have great taste. And so I think what separates the haulers that took off from the ones that didn't are this combination of very compelling on camera and really interesting taste on the stuff they bought. So unique taste. Unique taste or good taste. I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, the people that, you know, do the buying for anthropology and intermix, you know, the big clothing, female clothing, they have great taste, right? They, they just ha- ne- never turn on a YouTube camera and talk into it. Yeah. Maybe they could, you know, you never know. But I think these girls have a point of view that, you know, it becomes their own and, and then they keep doing it. And again, the other thing too is I'm sure when, you know, Elle Fowler did her first video, she got 25 views. And when she did yeah. her next one, she got totally. 80 views. And then it took her three years before she started getting, you know, a few hundred thousand views. And so you, when you, your perspective is great because you're talking as a creator right now, like the now way you, the way is, you speak. Yeah. yeah, I had this producing background that kind of. You're not talking understand. like you're an agent. I, I you know, I try to distinguish myself in the in the world of agenting. You know, for all those looking for an agent out there, of you know, there's there are the transactional agents that you know can get on a phone call and talk to the person on the line and whatever. Some of them do it, you know, kill with kindness, and some of them are pit bulls and are mean, yeah. and, and they can you know, understand the marketplace and the value of a deal and work up a deal. And that's great. I think that's, you know, a little bit of a commodity. I think the, the, the agents that become really good, again, whether it's a film agent or a book agent, are the ones that have good taste. Right. Um, taste is everything. And so they have good taste in picking their clients. They have good taste in selecting the materials. Um, I've been fortunate that I've produced, you know, with Lonely Girl, we produced 500 videos. We did the second show called Kate Modern where we did – Another two hundred videos, and you were the and I was the producer. Producer, like you made you know, the content. Yeah, I made the content. I you know wrote a ton of episodes, directed some. I had great partners. I worked with this guy Miles and this guy Mesh and other really talented people along the way. But definitely was sleeves rolled up, you know, on set in the mix, you know, sitting and watching the edits. So I think that the fact that I, for six or seven years, sat on that other side, um, and you know, you make stuff. And the, the cool thing with the, the internet is, you make stuff, you put it online, and you real-time test audience they either like it or they don't like it you see the views go up or you see them be flat you, you read the comments so I, I got a nice perspective of that so that has allowed me you know now that i'm on the other side to still be able to have the conversation with the client and say well have we thought about this have we thought about that you know this is working over here and, and have a little bit of that perspective because agents is like entourage was the best thing <laughs> in the world but also yeah. like it must have been terrible for the stereotype of Everyone telling you you're fired, you know, like yes, it's uh, it's certainly you know it's it's creative license, so it's it's a little bit of a caricature of itself, but it's not untrue. There's a lot of agents who, you know, they they 
they don't they just do deals right they they you know have clients and their clients tell them they want to do stuff and they go out and they do a good job for their clients and they make deals um but there's no they would never be able to sit back and say you know this thing was a good piece of content because i provided something to it they just kind of help make it happen right because digital is so new and i again would you ever have envisioned when you're creating a lonely lonely girl or equal that you would be an agent um, only because I, you know, I went to law school, so I'm a lawyer. When I was, uh, you know, in Where'd law, you go to law school, school? Uh, UCLA, you went to Berkeley uh, undergrad. I went to Berkeley undergrad, and so when I was in law school, you know, I think I might have been in Berkeley when Jerry Maguire came out, and I'm a huge sports nut, and I wasn't producing, I wasn't writing, I wasn't doing anything on the creative side, so I kind of envisioned myself somewhere in that world. Um, it was actually more unique that I got pulled into the world of Lonely Girl um, that I... And can you explain, sorry to interrupt, but sure, no. you mentioned Lonely Girl quite a few times, Yeah, and I actually moved to L.A. originally to be a filmmaker okay. many years ago, and I realized oh. entrepreneurship was more in my blood, Nice, and the business models were changing. I was a PA and location scout on The Wire. Oh, very cool. And I lived in D.C. Nice. And so I came out here to make it uh-huh. with my then girlfriend now wife okay there and she had go. no idea what she was signing up for because <laughs> we're still here and nice. she's from north carolina and she's like wait how are we still here that's funny and so we were i was here at digisend okay which is a company that was acquired by disney yeah to do social media analytics lonely girl was something that actually inspired me to realize that how like i worked on ugly betty as a pa okay and i was like they don't and funny or die approached us to do a sketch that they didn't think was on brand okay and it was with the son from Ugly Betty that was gay, and it was he was going to be a macho guy mm-hmm. and start cussing at people. Funny. I'm like, oh, this isn't right yeah, for us. Right. I was like, okay, I, I need to leave this. Then they don't get it exactly. But the only girl like showed people that you could actually create and build media stories and actually find and cultivate a new way to reach audiences. That's right. Yeah, it was. It was. Do you want just two minutes on? Yeah, we love that. Sure. So, Absolutely. So in two thousand, my long intro was a question that I really just wanted to say. Like, uh, perfect. That nice. it, it really was something that I think people saw in the creative community of LA that wanted to do digital. That said, okay, this is gonna stay. Yeah, like, it was. It was. It was neat. So in two thousand six, uh, so November two thousand five, YouTube starts, and two thousand six, I was buddies with a guy named Miles Beckett. And I was a lawyer. He was a doctor. We both hated our jobs and wanted to, you know, figure out what something kind of else law? to do. Uh, corporate entertainment law. So we were, rep- we, you know, not transactional. So we represented the movie studios, the record labels at this firm called Mitchell, Silverberg & Nupp. And we took on, you know, big litigation, uh, you know, whatever they needed, whether Sounds it was employment awful. stuff. It was awful. It was, you know, it doesn't matter if your clients are entertainment. If you're doing litigation, you're doing document review and, and depositions and interrogatories. Like 12-hour days. Horrible. 12-hour days of just And you're paying nonsense. back your law school loans. And- Absolutely. Everything about it sucked. And so <laughs> I was – and I learned that. I literally felt that – First or second day of sitting down at my desk. It was painful. Um, oh, right away. Right away. I knew it was not for me. Um, so in you know, in looking at this new platform, YouTube, we saw a couple things. So one is we saw what was getting popular were stolen clips from TV. And we're like, okay, there's not a business in stealing stuff from TV and uploading them to a YouTube channel because I was a copyright. A copyright was my specialty, and I knew that you can't steal copyright material. Um, the second thing we saw, though, was this emergence of teens making video blogs. And this term video blog was brand new. We'd never heard of it, but it was really cool. And you'd have a 16-year-old, and they'd make a little comedy sketch, or they'd tell about their day. Some of them would get a few hundred thousand views, and because they were interesting and the story was interesting, some of them would fall flat because they weren't as interesting. 
And, you know, in going back and forth, Miles had this kernel of an idea, I think when he was like going to sleep one night, where he was like, what if you're watching one of these video bloggers and they're talking to you every day and telling about their lives, but they weren't real. And they a narrative started unfolding where each day they'd give you a little nugget of a story. And after watching it for two or three months, without even realizing it, you're watching, you know, a story arc emerge and, you know, the character is growing and interacting and, you know, other kind of, you know, conflicts are coming into play. That would be amazing. So we knew this other guy named Mesh and then I got involved and we kind of all went to dinner and started hashing it out. And, you know, what emerged out of it was Lonely Girl, which was a story of a 16-year-old girl named Bree who was homeschooled living in somewhere in the middle of America. And she would make her videos and they would be really cute and compelling and the editing would be good. We introduced a character named Daniel, who was our next-door neighbor who had his own YouTube channel. And early on, you can tell that he had a huge crush on her, and she was oblivious and didn't even know what that meant. And then uh, kind of a little conflict would emerge about, you know, he loves her. Does she like him? And what's going to happen? And then we hit the audience over the head with, oh, but there's a bigger mystery here, which is Bree. something is weird in Bree's life, and her parents are in a cult, and they're people after her and she needs to prepare for this ceremony and she might be in huge danger so it you know kind of evolved into that all while people thought it was real the whole big hook of it was we never told the audience this yeah. is fictional we just shot it and told it like it was, it was real on the cover of wired it was on the cover of wired it was on every single news show so that went so the first video went up in like june it got you know a few thousand views the next video got ten thousand views the next video got fifty thousand views and on july 4th about a month into it uh, we did a video that got five hundred thousand views in about 48 hours we're like ooh, we're onto something here so we kept telling the story and telling the story and after three months we emerged that we were the guys behind it and we were on you know good morning america and today's show and mtv and nightly news with brian williams and everything and on the cover of it was global because YouTube was such a global phenomenon that we were on, you know, Korean newspapers and magazines, and it was very cool. And I remember she got spotted at a magazine stand. Yes, in like L.A. somewhere. Yep. And people were like talking, like she's a lo- like, wait, she's out. Yeah. The cult's not after her. Yeah, exactly. And was... so the gig was up at some point. Yeah, I mean, we we it, multiple angles started closing in and closing in and closing in, and so we were. We were very clear that you know we we wanted to own the story. We didn't want somebody to come out and put a story out there of like, hey, there's these assholes out there that are trying to con people and do something bad. We were like, no, no, we're creative people that are telling a story in a new format where it's kind of interactive. And we actually we had a story arc of three months that we wrote, but we tweaked it and changed it and added characters and changed things based on feedback from the audience. So it really was this interactive storytelling. You can ask her questions. She'd respond back to you. You can make response videos. We'd integrate those into the story. And we thought it was just a brand new medium that could be played with in a unique way. So when we were you know, on the one-yard line of being exposed, we called the, you know, the LA Times, the Associated Press, told our story. We're able to kind of own the story right. of we're not trying to con anyone or take anyone's money or sell weird products or something. We're just here to you know, entertain You're people experimenting. and experimenting. And it went over very well. There was, you know a couple percent of the audience that was offended and annoyed and felt that, you know, they formed a relationship with Brie and now they find <laughs> out it's an actress and my wife Amanda was the one messaging them on MySpace versus yeah. this girl they fell in love with. But the vast, vast majority of people knew it was fictional within a couple of weeks because we our main rule was that we weren't gonna lie to anybody. So if a person wrote a comment or made a video and said, Hey Brie you know, uh, what'd you eat for breakfast this morning? We'd answer in character. We'd say, oh, I ate bacon and eggs, and I'm really excited about my day today with Daniel. If somebody wrote in and said, hey, are you an actress, and is this thing fake, we would just ignore. We never went out and said, this is real. I'm a real girl. Like, you can look through every so comment. So there's a mystery around it. Yeah, and our whole 
point of view was like if you're watching Star Wars, like 20 minutes in the movie, yeah, Luke right. Skywalker doesn't turn to the camera and say, "By the way, guys, I'm Mark <laughs> Hamill. This is all just picture." You just you just go with it. So our whole thing was like when you're in the world of Lonely Girl, you're in the you know the artistic conceit of yeah. this world of Brie, and we're never going to tell you otherwise. Just we're just accept gonna, it. Just there. accept it and use your imagination and have fun with it. And so that's kind of how it happened. And then. We actually ended up doing Lonely Girl for two years. It got way bigger after we came out for those three months, and it went from you know five hundred thousand views a video to two million views. And we started making it every day, and it was like a soap opera. It yeah. turned into it turned into like uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Lost of this little group of kids that were traveling around trying to fight these bad guys, and it was you know very dramatic. And then we did a spinoff version in London called Kate Modern. Oh, that's uh, right. That was. Same this universe is, of it, but you know different characters. It's amazing, it's such imagination. It was it was wild, and then we did a Polish version because some big media company in Poland bought no the way. rights to Lonely Girl. We didn't write it, but we went out miles like and I went to it. Warsaw and spent ten days oh, no training way. directors and producers. Like, here's how you come up, here's how you break the story, and here's how you write the scripts, and here's how you shoot it, and here's how you you know upload in real time interactivity. And so there was a Polish version. It was it was it's wild. incredible. It was very cool. It was two years of complete and utter insanity. And just no, and you didn't plan any of it. We we had a thought of it would be cool but and it would no captivate. It we didn't know where it would just go. Again, starting stuff. Just not to be a doctor and a lawyer. Honestly. Yeah, that was over the that, only. That goal. was the motivation. The only goal was at the end of this thing, we're pretty sure that somebody in the entertainment industry will hire us to do something other than you know answer interrogatories. And then from there, you and Miles started equal. Yeah, we rate we you know very quickly got you know amazingly people like Ron Conway and Marissa Mayer and Mark Andreessen to fund the company. You know, raised a little bit of money and built a team and then what happened was we were continuing to produce original online kind of scripted content from 2006 until 2008 and then in 2008 when the economy crashed we realized the cost of producing scripted original content is going to far out exceed the money you can make whether it's sponsorships or cpms or whatnot so we kind of moved over into the more lifestyle vertical where we would take people like somebody like lauren conrad or somebody like bethany frankel and say if you just had this person who's super famous, took their social media over, made it really good, you know, articles and tips and information, you can, for a very low cost of creating content, get a very high engaged audience, and then you can bring brands into the mix. And brands like Kraft and Clorox and Walgreens started working with us. So we were able to pair celebrities, you know, who had, again, female-driven audiences, lifestyle content put a team in place that can consistently make that content and then have brands come in and do really large media buys, really large integrations targeted at that audience. And that's what Equal became. And so all because you just made a series about a vlogger. We, we took a 16-year-old girl in her bedroom. The real motivation was not being a lawyer. There's no, like... Just that was, like, that keeping was it. you going. hundred percent. Like, I do not want to go back to this law firm. It was so painful. And it's just, you know... One of the reasons, too, is I would go around the office, and the lawyers were all really smart and really good, and they'd be there 8 o'clock at night, and they'd be passionate. They'd bring me in their office, like, check out this case and this thing and this thing, and my dad's a lawyer, and he's like that. Like, every time I see him, he'll tell me about his new client, his new case. And in the back of my mind, I was like, this is so boring. I hate all of this. Yeah. I don't know what any of you are talking about. But I was like, good. I'm thrilled that you guys are out there. One day I will hire you, and you can all be my lawyer and deal with this stuff that I hate. I would rather go and make content or work with people that make content. And so now, now, from there, here you are. Yeah, so in 2012, I mean, is, sold like... the company to Everyday Health, which was a big uh, media company in New York that did, similar to us taking celebrities and building lifestyle brands, they would take you know big health brands like South Beach Diet or Mayo Clinic or Drugstore.com and build out their whole online infrastructure. 
they wanted a division of their company that was more lifestyle focused, more social and video focused. We had that, so they bought us. And I uh, worked for them for a year and a half until the end of 2013. And then when I was finishing that, I didn't really know, you know what was next for me. And I had known Jeremy Zimmer, who was our CEO here really well, and Brent Weinstein, who's over here, and spent time with them. And they were like, come here, and you know we think you'd be a good agent, and we think you'd bring creativity and kind of a different point of view to you know what we're doing here in digital and i was like yeah this is an awesome company and i I was i think you know the only bad part about being an agent is getting in right the the mail room and the assistance you didn't have to like i was able to skip that whole part so is that just unique to digital you think that yes i don't I, I, i don't i mean unless like unless you're you unless you start as a manager and you have a friend who's a, literally taking entourage like unless you can start at a point where you know somebody who lets you manage their career that person becomes a big movie star or tv star or rock star then you could probably walk into an agency and say hey i'm going to bring this person and i'm going to be an agent um for the 99% of people the only way in is through the mailroom which is also not something i was so really like interested in went doing lateral I went lateral. I jumped from, you know. But that's the process of executive of life. to. Yeah. Like exactly. I've had seven years doors, of startup right? experience. Yep. Successes, you know, done pretty well for myself. But I wouldn't be able to do the podcast, which I. That's right. And write the book and consult yeah. on my own if I didn't go through the process of. That's right. And the cool being thing. Being an entrepreneur. With, exactly. And the cool thing with digital in particular is like there is no business school for this. Yeah. There's no grad school. Like it is trial by fire. And the amount of mistakes that I made in my career are staggering, you know, far. It's, it's what Zuckerberg says, which I totally agree. It's like, you are going to make 10 times more mistakes than you're going to be, you know, successes. Just hopefully those successes are really, really big successes. Right. So I've had a couple really great things happen. I've had hundreds of really shitty things happen and you just all have to take it as a process and a learning. And to your point, like, you know, you couldn't be sitting here, you know, knowing how this industry works, ready to write a book on the industry being, unless you had, you know, seven years of, struggles just or, doing it and opportunities and grinding and, cool, and, and grinding, working yeah. for like companies right. and other people's ideas that's right and the, the companies you work for are at the forefront of the space as well so you got to have a first row up, seat up, of what was happening up close and personal exactly. and i think the process of getting to this point now to your like the, the business school model doesn't work for this business no if anyone said to me they wanted to do something in digital entertainment and they were going to go to business school i'd highly recommend against it yeah i'd recommend more going to law school because a lot of this stuff is you know, you still need the core of if if you're going to be on the business side of understanding contracts, understanding employment law, and understanding intellectual property law. Those things are all very important um, to what I do on a daily basis, what other people do. But the best advice is just to go do it. Well, that's why, like, go for this, company do it. I've like I've made like less money this past year, but the wealth of like it's a long game. That's right. You know, I'm putting. St- I got you. Got to put your money where your mouth is. Hundred percent at this stage in the game. Yeah, if, especially if you're an entrepreneur. You, you got to be creative, yourself. and it's yeah. got to be you. And if you fail, it's better to be me failing totally. than like another founder that's telling me what to do. And that's right. Like the amount of fire drills you have at startups yep. is incredible. Yep. So if I'm in a fire drill, at least it's mine. And that's right. And and just like you said, the the ability to not be afraid of failure is. And I don't know if everyone has it. You know, when one of the nice things was when we were kind of you know I don't know even you know 2010 2011 kind of on our way in the startups. I got invited different places to speak at you know to business school classes or to other kind of you know industry events and i was very candid and i was like not everybody should be an entrepreneur and like you know ask yourself the hard questions of do you have the stomach to you know look at your own life and say like do you have the stomach to not pay credit card bills for four months like yeah can you just take the credit card bill that comes in the mail every month rip it into little pieces (laughs) and throw it in the trash and be like 
I'll figure it out later, you know? Yeah. And, and if you can do that, then fine. You might have the stomach for it. But if you don't have the stomach for failure, for brutally hard decisions, you know, you have to fire a lot of people. You have to piss off a lot of people. And, and I'm very candid where I'm like, if you don't have that in your stomach, don't do it. Go get a job somewhere. Have a great family. Be successful in whatever you're – work super hard and be great at what you're going to be, but don't have it all riding on your shoulders for those other people that can, you know. Because we, we – in 2008 and 2009, I mean, we were at a point where we were running out of money and we were not paying vendors and we were, you know, going back to our, you know, landlord and renegotiating our rent and all these like literally looking people in there and be like, I know I'm supposed to pay you, but I'm not going to pay you right now. Let's figure this out. It's a very hard. Thing and just to confronting do. it. Just confronting you it. You got to get ahead of it. Off. That's right. Yeah. You got you to do, you know, it's uh, what's uh, uh, Horowitz, Ben Horowitz's book, you know, the hard things about yeah. hard things. Phenomenal, incredible book. And it's true. It's. The, the other life lesson is every time you do a very hard thing, the next time becomes a little bit easier. So mentally get in that pattern of saying, like, I'm just going to do these things. The, I'm going to do the right thing at the moment. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. But it's going to be better when I'm done. And you kind of learn that and learn that it becomes a lot easier. But when you're young, when you're 25, when you're 30, it's a lot trickier to do. So then now you're working with talent or creative and they're – emerging as entrepreneurs mm -hmm. some people don't even realize that they have a youtube totally. channel and they're small business owners that's right how does your experiences with the hard decisions help you uh, it helps a lot i mean I'm, I'm able to have you know fairly candid conversations with them about you know hey this this person you're working with over here or this thing you're doing over here is you know is is not the right thing to do, not working. So I think that um, I'm able to, you know, the other good thing with, especially in my particular line of business, is call on my experiences and say to the person, like, okay, I'm not just some, you know, asshole telling you what to do or kind of equating, like, you know, whatever, having an opinion. Like, in, I remember this specific time where I had to do this specific thing. It's just like what we're doing right now. Here's how we did it. Here's how it didn't work. Here's how it did work, but whatever. I'm able to rely on experience. Um, and, you know, empathize with the person and kind of, you know, walk them through a tricky situation. So what are some exciting opportunities? We'll finish on this note yeah. for uh, creators like Viners, YouTubers, um, beyond those platforms. So I would say a bunch of things. So there's, you know, traditional stuff outside of what they're doing is really exciting right now. So if you look at, you know, brands, brands have for a long time dabbled into this space and through a... They would take like their experimental budget and say, okay, we're going to yeah. work with a YouTuber, Viner, and give them 50 grand and have them do something. It is now becoming as important. Like an influencer campaign is a line item in every brand marketing budget, just like a TV media buy or a Google search buy. So the fact that there is like dedicated specific money to these people is amazing because now you know, you know, a few years ago, it, they'd, they'd throw out, you know, an RFP, a request for a proposal, and they'd say, okay, we're looking for an influencer to do a campaign. Not only were you not sure if they'd pick a particular influencer, you weren't even sure they'd do the campaign in general. Like they might run through the whole process and after four months say, you know, we're just not going to do this. Now they're going to spend that money. So now it's are they going to give it to influencer A or influencer B? So it's it's great that all this huge brand money is pouring into this space. Um, books. I think that you know we have this thing here called Keywords, which is an initiative with Simon and Schuster, and there's just going to be. This year, there's going to be you know ten or twelve books coming out written by influencers. I think the vast majority of them are going to sell unbelievably well, which will lead to twenty five next year, which will lead to a hundred the year after that. And I think anybody, you know, if you're if you're a famous politician or if you're a famous you know whatever actor or somebody like that, you can get a book. 
the same thing is going to happen like you, with influencers. If you're Sheryl Sandberg or that's if you're right. someone yep, like that. That's right. You're going to get a book. Because you can guarantee like 20,000 pre-orders. That's and... exactly right. That's now, that is now going to be the norm for influencers. Everyone that gets that level of a million subscribers will have the option of being able to write a book. Books are cool. They, 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 you get to put a lot of yourself into they them. They're a fun experience. They give you credibility. You can go on talk shows. and It just makes you more real. Yeah. Um, so I think books are awesome. We're seeing a big trend in movies. So, you know, with what uh, Awesomeness TV did this movie called, you know, they're one of the big MCNs. They did this movie called Expelled, you know, starring a couple, you know, really large influencers they have. It was the number, it's now the number two most downloaded movie of all time to uh, behind the interview. And yeah. it was number one for a hot minute. And then the interview came after. But, you know, it did phenomenally well. They closed down Westwood Boulevard and had searchlights and uh, expelled and it's you know kid movie about a high school you know teen movie but it did amazingly well made way more money than it cost to put out there it's a huge success story um they have this one called camp dakota from oh, yeah. a couple years ago so influencer driven movies okay that. awesome nice yeah. um, smart guy so influencer driven movies um you know and then so that's in the world of jumping the platform from you know digital to traditional movies books um licensing is big so people are starting their own merchandising michelle has a huge makeup line there's these cool businesses that are starting to be built um and then the final one that's just who it's interesting is this whole like svod so subscription video on demand so right now you put your videos on youtube they're an ad generated business you get you know whatever percentage of the cpm there's companies like vessel there's companies like full screen there's companies like youtube Mm -hmm. that are you know all talking about what is the future of subscription-based content where instead of needing 10 million people to get a big advertising buy, you might have 100,000 people that can pay a couple dollars, and that starts being real money. So I think that direct-to-consumer with consumers paying versus brands paying for advertising is going to be a very interesting place to watch the next year. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me in your, uh, your golf-filled office. With right, it is literally all. If you walked in here, you'd be like, oh, you represent golfers, right? And I'm like, Or you're like a really good golfer. In my own mind, I played college golf, so I was I was I was always okay. But I love it. It is it is the passion. Is that like Amen Alley over there? That is. That's number twelve at Augusta, and this is Pebble that's Beach. Number, that's number eight at Pebble Beach, and that's number eighteen at St Andrews. And the Brooklyn Dodgers. And you have a bar. And I have a bar. Every but good. Every single one of those is completely full, so it shows about how much I drink at work. Yeah. Well, it's just in case. Just in case. It's all. It's actually all from this Christmas. I had. I had one <laughs> bottle that somebody randomly gave me when I first started. And then Christmas, I got like six new bottles. So this is incredible. I love it. You need to. uh, Next time I come in here, I want half them uh, finished. We're gonna drink. You're gonna drink them with me. Yeah, it's only like 10 a.m., but we can do it. Okay. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. (laughs) 